going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 273 of the DFS Dose Podcast, your fix of daily fantasy sports information, strategy, and analysis. I'm your host, Ben Hover, joined as I always am by Joey Carrion. On today's show, we're going to talk about our results from week 14 in the NFL, as well as some interesting stats and storylines. Joey, how did you do this week? It was an okay week. I mean, I was... I was with the field in terms of the cash game lineup, which is obviously disappointing because when you're right on the line, you're just chopping. So yeah, didn't separate from the field much for the cash lineup. There were some decisions that, you know, I made and that you made that were kind of different, which uh, led you to scoring more points than me. I ended up playing Derrick Henry. Didn't pay up to Justin Jefferson. I mean, he has a 99th percentile game, his best game of his career. From a yards perspective, just uh, max pain there. Yeah, man. I mean, I thought it was a clear-cut priority this week. Uh, I ended up putting up 139.5 in cash, good for an 80% win rate in head-to-heads. 100% cash rate and double ups. Like you said, I mean, the big stance that I took this week was JJ over Derrick Henry. And I think that made sense for a couple of reasons. First and foremost, game environment, right? Lions Vikings game had a literal 10 point higher total than Tennessee Jacksonville. Secondly, and and bear with me here. Tell me if I'm right in this line of thinking. Okay. The majority of cash game lineups on DraftKings came preloaded with a minimum of two Detroit Lions and Jared Goff and Amon Ross St. Brown. Goff was 61% owned and the massive $25 double up ASB was 78%. So realistically, well over 50% of the field was rolling out a Lions stack in cash. Pretty decent portion of the field had DeAndre Swift as a piece as well. He was like 30% in cash. And yet JJ is only coming in and about 20% of cash teams. We've talked a lot about how like stacking isn't necessary in cash, but if you do decide to do it, especially with a pocket passing quarterback who realistically is only getting there through multiple passing touchdowns and the stack partner is an 8K wide receiver, you really are banking on that game shooting out. It's different than if you rolled out a stack of like Tyler Huntley and Devin Duvernay, for example, where it doesn't need to be a full game stack. The game doesn't need to hit for that stack to hit. I think it does when you're paying 8K for a wide receiver and you need passing touchdowns from the quarterback. So then you're deciding between a high-priced running back that doesn't correlate with your lineup or you're deciding between Justin Jefferson at 9k who is a direct corollary piece with that lineup i think that that decision makes itself like yeah it was another 1100 to get up to jj but the spot was incredible for minnesota and ended up hitting you know obviously like you said career high 223 yards for jj 11 of his 15 targets for 223 36 points on dk without a touchdown i don't know i feel like it was it was the right path to go specifically they're finishing what was like a game stack that most people didn't bring anything back with yeah, I mean, obviously, I agree that Jefferson was a very good play for sure and didn't fault anybody that went that route in cash. But I will make some counter arguments to consider. You know, you're not playing cash games in terms of, you know, trying to capitalize on the increased correlation and these players hitting their 99th percentile outcomes. Like if Jared Goff is hitting his ceiling, like I'm not thinking about that in cash, right? You're playing these players based on their salary and median projections. And then in turn, what value does that give you in the lineup construction in general? So Jared Goff finishes with 29.10 points. His projection was what, 18, 19 at 50 
600 or whatever his salary was. So obviously you're not expecting 29 points. Are you taking into consideration the ceiling of each individual player in your lineup? I mean, you have to in 2022 for sure, but that's not my main focus in cash. Like you're just trying to play the best plays possible, which Justin Jefferson is and was one of the best plays, but he obviously has a career game. Probably should have been even bigger if we're being honest. The refs blew that touchdown play dead, which was a touchdown. So you take like what? an additional 30 yards and a touchdown off the board so could have been a a way bigger day and I'm not saying he was a bad play by any by any stretch but I'm just not really considering like you know what if these players are all hitting their ceilings and if Goff and Amonra are hitting their ceiling like I need Justin Jefferson like I'm not thinking about that when I'm playing cash games or double ups or head-to-heads or whatever personally and then my other point is is like the reason why Justin Jefferson wasn't owned that frequently is because of projections right Justin Jefferson at 9k was only projecting as like a 1.5 value or somewhere around there which is good but not great and definitely not a smash and you know from a median projection standpoint he was a good play he wasn't a great play obviously he's one of if not the best wide receiver in the NFL so you could take that into consideration but when you look at it from a field perspective, you know, if you're paying for projections, most of the people playing cash game lineups are just going to trust the projections and trust the discords that they're in and overall get themselves on what they feel is the best lineup possible based on what they are paying for. When you look at it from that perspective, I think it makes sense why Justin Jefferson wasn't too high on. Those would be my arguments as to why, you know, he wasn't, but nonetheless, he, he still was a very, very good play. And like I said, I don't fault anybody for getting up to Justin Jefferson. Jefferson, especially like on a full PPR site, ceiling extremely high, but those would be my counter arguments. I mean, I think all of that is very fair. It's more of like not a necessity. I think that you had to jam a Viking in there to correlate with your cash game stack, but more so the fact that I don't think that the price discrepancy was really making a difference to me because a, like we said on the stream, I was very comfortable getting off of Greg Dolchich. Like I'm always fine fading a Bronco, even though, I mean, they ended up snapping yesterday on offense, like traditionally throughout the year, it's been a terrible offense. It's a cheap tight end. I don't have any qualms of about getting off of, you know, 50% Dolchich and cash to go down to Chig. Obviously, that decision ended up working out because Chig had a monster game. But even if he didn't, I still would have felt comfortable with that in retrospect. And, you know, 25% of the field also burned $3,800 on a defense. So shout out to the field for that. I mean, simply going down from Cowboys D to Steelers D gave you enough salary to get up to JJ, essentially. So like, I I just felt like it was more so a tiebreaker where if I needed that thousand to make the rest of the lineup work. I would have been okay without Justin Jefferson, but I felt like salary was loose enough in specifically terms of defense and tight end that you could get off of the chalkiest plays and still make good plays that it was okay to to go with that tiebreaker there. Yeah. And I mean, I think the the biggest thing is that chalk doesn't necessarily mean it's a good play especially if you have conviction about a certain player um so like you said you played chig over dolchich at tight end you know if you're looking at the projections that we pay for that's a bad play right but obviously you have conviction in fading you know a chalky tight end on one of the best teams to fade in fantasy um at 3400 but like i said people are just trusting what they pay for right there's a reason that you're paying hundreds of dollars for these projections so looking at it from that standpoint like yeah chig in terms of projections was a 
a worse play than Dolchich, no doubt about it, for 700 less. Like, Dolchich was projected as the best value on the slate, 11.2 DraftKings points prior. Chig was a negative value, 7.5 DK points. But, you know, your feel for DFS is probably higher than most, and you were comfortable fading Dolchich, and I, w- I would have been too. Um, I just obviously got into a different construction than you uh, because I didn't play Justin Jefferson. I played Henry, but yeah, I think that that's the main reason is people pay for these things, and they're going to trust what they pay for and you know when you're looking at the projections from this previous week Derrick Henry projected for 20.9 points as a as a 2.2 value at 7900 or Justin Jefferson projected for 22.3 points at 9k and a 1.5 value Um, so I think that's why people prioritize getting in Henry over Justin Jefferson but nonetheless I mean they both still had relatively good games so they didn't kill you by any stretch but if you did play the train lineup you did not cash fully so Mm. uh that that's that's why maybe getting a little different maybe at like a spot or two is probably beneficial in cash in in 2022 just with the landscape and you know how everybody's sharp and projections are sharper like you're gonna have to differentiate sometimes to you know ultimately generate the the biggest roi possible in my opinion now yeah and and sometimes it'll work and sometimes it won't and I, i think like probably for the vast majority of people what you're saying is probably the right call. Like, I don't think that everybody has the right feel to make those decisions. And I don't think everybody has like the uh, testicular fortitude to like deal with the consequences of being wrong. Like if, if you roll the train, if you roll straight projections, you can look at it and say projections failed me instead of I failed me, which is a lot easier for most people. I'm, I'm comfortable with being right with my decisions and I'm comfortable be- with being wrong with my decisions. But what can I say, bro? I'm just built different. <laughs> Yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) All right. (laughs) Let's talk about some of the interesting stats and storylines from the week. All right. What a week. What a week. Storylines. What do we got? We got Chris Moore doing his best Calvin Johnson impression. We have Jarek McKinnon leading the slate in running back points. Mm, No, that's that's not too interesting. How about the Jacksonville stuff? All right. Trevor Lawrence. We've been we've been talking about this elusive ceiling game for Trevor Lawrence for almost two years now, and it finally hit. Did I play him? Absolutely not. But shout out to people who did play T-Law, who dropped 36.42 points on DraftKings, his best career fantasy game, quarterback one on the slate with 368 passing yards, three touchdowns, and an extra touchdown on the ground rushing. You know, the reason it's been so hard for us to click Trevor's name in tournaments is because even though we both acknowledge that he's got the talent himself and the tools to be an upper echelon quarterback in the NFL, it's the supporting cast that's been lacking, right? But where we fucked up is that we didn't realize that yesterday, pre-game, Evan Ingram was in the locker room deciding to become Rob Gronkowski in his prime, catches 11 of 15 targets for 126 yards and two touchdowns, 42.2 points on DraftKings. Evan Ingram was the highest scoring player on DraftKings at $3,300 as a tight end on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Why didn't we see this coming? Yeah, I mean, you know, I was high on Christian Kirk because we know that this Titans defense is a pass funnel, right? Clear cut, they are not good against opposing quarterbacks and wide receivers, but they are one of the best teams against opposing running backs. So it made sense that the Jags, you know, went more pass heavy in this spot. And then they obviously get down early 14 to 7 after the first quarter. It looks like a clear Derrick Henry game. Um, I, I would say like Derrick Henry ran bad to finish with 25 points in this spot. Absolutely. Everything, 
everything just fell apart for the Titans yesterday. But yeah, Trevor Lawrence comes in. They go super pass heavy. Evan Ingram makes, you know, his best Travis Kelsey impression. 42.2 points. I mean, it's safe to say that this will never happen again for Evan Ingram. And this is obviously a one game anomaly. So wouldn't put too much stock in it into Evan Ingram, especially long term because of this. But shout out to him. I mean, he, he does have the athletic talent and the tools to have games like this. He obviously is just not good at football, but, you know, every uh, blind squirrel catches a nut once in a while. I mean, we were all over the Eagles stuff, right, the week before. Yeah, that, that that's what and I'm then, saying. We should have been on that more, I think, especially because, like, these things, we see it happen often in the NFL where, like, the matchups and the way that the defenses give up certain points to different factors of the offense, like how the Titans are an incredible pass funnel right now, like, it comes in waves throughout the season. So, like, early in the year, you know, Detroit was a run funnel. And they've tightened the fuck up recently. And like, we've recognized that and been like, you know, maybe, you know, Detroit, they still look like on paper, they've given up a ton of yards to the running back position. But over the past few weeks, if you isolate it, they've actually been locking down and recognizing like where stats are more uh, part of a stretch of games versus the entire season is very important. And we should have probably recognized this for the Titans. And I think that you know, the field will probably recognize it now, but if you can realize it maybe a week before it becomes a giant story, I think that there's a huge edge in that. And maybe that's something we need to be better at, you know, recognizing in real time going forward. Cause next week, you know, Titans on the road against the Chargers is going to be a huge spot for DFS. Yeah. Just kind of upset that, yeah, we, we didn't recognize this after being all over the Eagles stuff against the same Titans defense. And yeah, just, just upsetting that we missed Trevor Lawrence's best game of his career yeah well good to see that ceiling out of t-law now we can at least say that we've seen it once so so shout out to t-law you know let's go with denver man i missed i missed most of the afternoon games yesterday you know i was doing uh my my aaron ekblad impression on the ice skating with my girl christmas vibes you already know how it goes but i look down at my phone right and, and i see that my throwaway rush tournament team is actually my best gpp team of the week with the judy single stack money three touchdowns for judy and russ has his second best game of the season before getting injured i mean what happened like was, was this fluky or did something legit shift on this offense and they like played well for once? I mean, they were down like twenty seven zero. So they okay. just they just got into, you know, prime comeback mode. And obviously the, the Chiefs defense is not that great. So just everything uh went in the right way for a solid Russ Wilson, you know, Jerry Judy game being down that much against a bad pass defense for sure. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> just definitely a fluke. Don't want to be betting on this team long term, especially the rest of the season. And I would expect uh, them to regress back to uh, scoring one touchdown next week. Mm. Did did this three touchdown push uh, Russ over the bathrooms or, or where are we at with that? I mean, he, he's got to be close, I think. Got to be close. Got to be close. few weeks left, though, and I wouldn't be shocked to see a couple more zero touchdown performances out of this offense. So sweating down to the wire on that. I mean, really, not too much else that was like interesting from a stats perspective yesterday. This was kind of a dog water slate and we knew that it would be like coming into the week. Everything kind of played out, you know, standard, I think, you know, CMC on top of the leaderboard, Chase, Jefferson, like just, you know, your your usual figures, right? But I will say the one really interesting story that I think became a, a conversation on Twitter yesterday was this T. Higgins stuff. I saw you tweet about it. Maybe you'd like to give your take on that. 
Yeah, I mean, just I, I I personally think that there's just too much money on the line for simple things like this to not get reported. I mean, there's reporters at the game for a reason. You know, I think that there's really nothing you could do. Like, obviously, we take accountability for our mistakes, but there's nothing you could do when T. Higgins is fine coming into the game. Then in the pregame warmups, he surprisingly can't go and then he plays the first snap of the game and doesn't play the rest of the game seems a little fishy to me to be honest especially that part right playing the snap i mean if you know anything about like sports betting and, and prop betting etc like you need to play one snap if if a player doesn't play a snap it gets ruled as a dnp the bets get voided so he plays one snap and then sits the rest of the game that is very yeah. sketchy yeah, like, to, to be honest, it, it really is. Don't know why they would do that, and this isn't the first time that they've done it this year. T. Higgins has another zero ball with the same exact situation. Happened, I, I think, like, a month or two ago. So, I mean, the, the Bengals, who the fuck knows what's going on in Cincinnati in terms of their injury reporting and pregame warm-ups and whatnot, but, yeah, definitely very, very suspicious, and, I mean, it, it just fucked a ton of people. I mean, it's that, it's that simple. Like, this needs to get reported plain and simple what are you going to do as a as a player as a gambler whatever and especially with the nfl embracing gambling now there's just too much money on the line that it's that simple and and not only that but like earlier in the week right the nfl handed like half a million dollars in fines to the saints for faking an injury in game right uh cameron jordan got fined uh the saints head coach their defensive coordinator all got fined like a ton of money i don't really see how this is any different honestly like i think that the nfl should double down and essentially hand those fines out i, I don't know if they go to t higgins if they go to zach taylor like who these fines the go to but this got is serious too. for this they got they got fined this week for the jesse bates mm. uh faking an injury mm. uh Jesse Bates got fined 50K. Zach Taylor got fined like 200K or something. And the Bengals team got fined like 350K for the Jesse Bates faked injury in the end zone against the Chiefs. Double down, man. Fine him again. Find find the absolute shit out of them until they get this shit right. Because like it is extremely unacceptable. And if this was a different situation, like maybe 10 years ago where the NFL wasn't embracing gambling as much as they do now, then like maybe I would get it. And like, you know, people were out on their own gambling on games and it wasn't like part of every broadcast. But at this point, the NFL, DraftKings and these other sports books, they're all in bed together and the shit just can't happen. So I I totally agree with you, plain and simple. It needs to get reported and the penalties for failing to do so should be extreme, I believe. Absolutely. All right. Injuries of note, T. Higgins with this mysterious hamstring injury, who knows on that and and I wouldn't trust the reporting, uh, even if we did have something on it. Tyler Boyd, as well with the Bengals, suffered a finger injury in yesterday's game. Boyd is week to week. They said they don't expect him to miss like an extended period of time, but we will have to see on that. And obviously, T. Higgins is an unknown. All I know is that Jamar Chase off to the fucking moon for the next couple of weeks. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, without... Without these uh, other two wide receivers, potentially, yeah, Jamar Chase is going to absolutely eat, and he ate in this game. Um, I would expect T. Higgins to be fine next week. I mean, if we're just looking at what happened earlier in the season, you know, he he missed the game, or he was fine, was active, didn't play, and then he was fine the next week, has a good game. Um, so I, w- I would expect T. Higgins at least to be back next week. 
Yep. Big game against the Bucks next week. That'll be interesting for them. Debo Samuel left early in yesterday's blowout victory over the Bucks with an ankle injury. Kyle Shanahan later went on to describe it as most likely a high ankle sprain. That seems like something that could be a pretty big deal for Debo. We know that those are very easily re-aggravatable injuries and injuries that players struggle to come back and be 100% on. So that's tough for Debo. And I mean, everything just continues to set up for CMC to have a monster run to finish this season out with the injuries to Elijah Moore and now Debo as well. Yeah, no, I mean, CMC obviously had a very good game. 49ers had a very good game on offense. Brock Purdy looks okay, but I think it's just, you know, more so the fact that Kyle Shanahan has like the best offensive system in the NFL or one of the best. And all of these guys are still pretty relevant even with Brock Purdy and at quarterback who is actually dealing with an injury himself to his oblique he got an MRI on an injured oblique reported four minutes ago so uh maybe the Niners might be down to to QB4 after god damn potentially they they cannot stay healthy year after year you know Shanahan's scheme is consistent and 49ers suffering major injuries is consistent uh, I don't know what's I don't know what's going on uh, over in the bay there another injury that came in just before we started recording was DJ Moore with the ankle I mean I thought it was pretty shocking that DJ Moore got zero catches yesterday again I was uh you know out doing holiday shit so I didn't watch much of that game but I had DJ Moore in cash and just you know waiting for that zero to turn into something else and he got six rushing yards zero catches shout out to DJ Moore but apparently he has an ankle injury nothing else has been reported on that I think we'll find out more throughout the week but they've traded away Robbie Anderson if DJ Moore is out I mean this team has literally no pass catchers this team is is so bad I mean on offense especially um but they're still right in the uh thick of things in terms of the playoff race so it's probably gonna try and get back I mean they they really do have a chance at the playoffs with that division being so bad they're they're one game back behind the Tampa Bay Bucks incredible Incredible. Damian Pierce, while we're on the subject of all these ankle injuries, suffered an ankle injury yesterday. I think his is probably the least significant because he did re-enter the game with it taped up. So not expecting anything serious or uh, like an extended break for Damian Pierce here. He is 61 yards out from 1,000 yards rushing as a rookie. Pretty good season for Damian Pierce this far, and I think he'll be able to close it out strong. Yeah, I mean, just a low upside option at this point. Offense is so bad. Uh, obviously, touchdown dependent. It is ceiling. But if, if they have good matchups, like he, he should be serviceable. But I've I've been benching Damian Pierce for like the last month of the season, so... Yeah, makes sense. But hey, Texans put up a hell of a fight yesterday. They really did. They did. They did. Other than that, I'm really not seeing much that impacts fantasy. Like there were some tough QB injuries. You mentioned Purdy, Kenny Pickett, Tyler Huntley, Mike White, and Russell Wilson all with head injuries, potential concussions. Prayers out to all these guys. Hope that the concussions aren't serious hope that they don't have cte you know all all that but like from a fantasy perspective not much of an impact you know nobody's playing these guys anyways yeah i mean (laughs) not playing any of these guys so all right you know that is going to be it for episode 273 of the dfs dose podcast make sure you follow us on twitter at dose media net as well as our personal twitters i'm at ben hover joey's at joey carrion dfs We'll be back on Thursday with our first look at week 15. If you guys want to connect with us and stay up to date with what's going on within the network, you can join our inner circle via the free Discord chat. Link to find that is in the show notes to this podcast. 
to everybody listening out there. We appreciate you. We value you. Until next time, let's stay accountable and keep it authentic.